This episode is brought to you by The Prepared Company. The Prepared Company helps wills and estates lawyers by providing a secure, white-label platform to manage and distribute your clients' digital records after they pass away. Passwords, cryptocurrency, photos, legal documents and more, you can now provide a safe and secure way to pass your clients' data while also protecting their privacy. Bring your estate's business into the 21st century with The Prepared Company. Mention the Doing Law Differently podcast for 20% off your business subscription. You're listening to Doing Law Differently. Join me, Lucy Dickens, as I explore how the world's most progressive legal service providers are doing law differently. Welcome back. You're listening to the Doing Law Differently podcast. I'm Lucy Dickens, and today I am joined by Kirsty Salvestro of Flourish Family Law. Kirsty is a family lawyer, mediator, divorce coach, author, and the founder of Flourish Family Law, which is a boutique firm that specialises in helping families separate peacefully and out of court. I've known Kirsty for quite some time now. We were part of the same book writing program last year. We did the Author Inc. program together with Andrew Griffiths. And I've had the pleasure of working with Kirsty in my Productize and Profit program this year. So I have quite a bit of behind the scenes insight into how Kirsty is doing law differently. And I knew that she was someone that you would all like to hear from and get some inspiration from. So in this interview, we take a step back and I ask Kirsty to talk us through her journey from making the decision to leave her traditional law partnership six years ago and to build her own business. She talks to us about how she took six months off when she left that partnership to really help her discover what it was that she wanted to do. And we talk about what she did, how she used that time, as well as then the journey and how her business has evolved to what it has become today. Kirsty talks us through some of the services she offers. Those include her book, her online course, her coaching services, but also running really deeply through our conversation are Kirsty's values. She talks a lot about kindness and you'll hear her explain how those things really have infiltrated everything she does in her business, which tie in very nicely with her advice at the end for those of you who want to do law differently. As always, please hit subscribe, leave a rating and review if you enjoy the podcast. It really helps other people find out about the show. For now, though, let's hit play. Here is Kirsty Salvestro of Flourish Family Law on the Doing Law Differently podcast. Hello, Kirsty. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Lucy. Great to be here. Thank you so much for joining me. I was saying in my introduction that you and I have known each other for a while and I now know quite a lot about your business. So I'm going to try and take you back a bit and see if I can discover some new things about you as well. And of course, we'll talk about your course and your book and all of the things that you're doing throughout the interview to share with our listeners some of the things that I've come to know about you. But let's go back in time. I want to start with life before Flourish Family Law because this is a part of you I don't know that much about. So start, let's start at that part of your journey, if that's okay with you. Tell us about what you were doing and what led you to your decision to start your own firm. Yeah, well, look, I was in a rural regional practice, RRRs <laughs> here, um, it, and the firm was a very older traditional firm. I was a partner there. I was a partner for seven years. Now, I really loved my partners, my colleagues and that environment. But to be honest, I had some 
life-changing things happen in my own personal life. I think I also just grew from a very different person to when I was working in my rural practice, also by way of a little bit more information there. So in that practice, we really, as a rural practice, we have to cover a really broad range of obviously work for clients, so wills and estates. I did convey primarily, I just did all the family law and loved that and really liked focusing on that. But unfortunately, when I got to a point where I had a bit of a change myself in the way that I was looking at family law, I was really trying to push that through my firm, really trying to introduce some of the kinder ways that I was dealing with family law, some of the more non-traditional ways. And I found that I kept hitting brick walls. Um, so to be honest, that was one of the major reasons why I chose to step back and go, how can I do this in my way and be able to authentically be myself and to do the work and to help the couples the way that I want to help them? And unfortunately, that just wasn't being part of this practice because I kept getting in the types of the clients as much as I tried to change the focus, it just didn't work. So I actually took six months off because I was really a bit lost, I think, about what I wanted to do and I didn't want to be doing it that way. And that's really the type where the title of my book came from, What Are We Fighting For? I just didn't know what I was fighting for the people and what I was doing. So I took that six months off and really during that time, that's where I'm like, okay, I really just need to refocus and create something that I'm really proud of. I love that you took a decent chunk of time out of work because that's a big decision for anyone, regardless of any personal, financial, whatever circumstances. If you're a person who is used to working and enjoys working, let alone the financial commitments, like I said, choosing to take six months off, it's a big deal. But I've seen from my own experience that time away from work, away from the day-to-day, just space to let you think and reflect and consider is so important in coming up with new ideas, but also figuring out what are we fighting for, like you say. Tell me a bit more about the time off. I know you said you worked on the book, but was it I'm not working time off or was it I'm taking time off, I'm going to go and explore options, I'm going to do learning or training or what did you do? I did do a lot. So first thing, yes, it was really hard. Like it was a massive decision for me. You know, I've been working since I was 14 years old. I, you know, used to work as a checkout chicken coals when I put myself through uni. I did all that hard work. I worked full time whilst I studied my law degree as well. So I've always been a worker, never had a day off, never took sick days. So it was a really big thing for me. I guess when I took that time, my husband has a business as well. So I did do little bits and pieces for him and we helped grow him business because I really love the business management side of things as well and did that. So I did a little bit of that. But to be honest, my kids at that point, so it was four years ago. So they were still quite young teenagers then. And I was running around a lot for them. So I felt like I really threw myself into my motherhood as well, which I love. But in that time, yes, I definitely kind of went all out on courses and what I want to do. I did my collaborative training. I also did my mediators training. That took me in that six months off. I didn't do all those things. I kind of had decided I was going to do those things. So I did a lot of courses and self, like a lot of reading, that's for sure. I read a lot of books about how to best find my why and me and all those sorts Mm. of things. So yeah, then went on and did probably within the 12 months of me leaving my practice, I did the mediator training and I refreshed my collaborative training so yeah yeah so you took time off to learn some new skills and 
Would I be right in saying that maybe at that time you were still figuring it out? It was that time and doing that training that helped you decide that absolutely this was what you wanted. And look, to be yeah. honest, even when I sort of decided, okay, I'm going to create a new firm for myself, I didn't really know what that exactly was going to look like. I jumped in a little bit. I wouldn't say premature because I believe that the beauty of doing this was that it was allowed to just grow authentically in the way that I wanted it to. Where if I'd had a complete set business plan, which was my usual me, um, it might have been a bit different. And I didn't have any expectations. I didn't know what was going to happen. I knew the sort of clients that I wanted and I thought, okay, I'm just going to go and try and find those sorts of people. Yeah. So from when you made the decision, you were going to start the business, how it evolved and what it's become today. Well, look, I started off obviously promoting saying, you know, I can do mediation. I was really trying to focus on the out-of-court solution. So the first, I made some rules for myself, I suppose. My big rule was no court. And a lot of lawyers asked me, how can you do that? Like you're a lawyer. I see my lawyer in the negotiation, in the creating options, in all that sort of work. So I'm very comfortable with that and I'm totally fine with that. And Cassie, what was your reason for the no court? Was it because you don't like going to court? Was it because you see the shortcomings of court for your clients or maybe a mixture? All of the above. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, Um, I must say that I'm not a great public speaker. And you know what it's like as a junior lawyer, you get in there, how nervous it is when you go to court. Now, I certainly got over the nerves and I was fine going to court, but I honestly didn't enjoy it myself. I didn't love getting up in the morning and going, yay, it's a court day. Really hate that. I also had some really bad experiences with clients' mental health because of the family, the way they went through the system. Not because of the system, just the fact they were in there and the emotions that brought out for them. So I saw a lot of people really struggle. And I also just thought, you know, I don't want to be part of this. I really want to show them a way to not be part of this. So yeah, it was very much a very personal decision that I didn't enjoy it. And I also didn't want other people to have to experience that. So what I did is, I yeah. go, okay, well, what does that mean for someone who's separated? How on earth do I then help these people as a lawyer? And that's where I've worked in, okay, mediator, coaching, those sorts of things. I worked it in and they've all really just evolved. Obviously, the mediation was very early on. I love mediation and I loved doing that. So I was like, yay, this is really great. And I created a bit more of a, it, so where I live, I'm still in a rural area. So I'm reasonably well known, I think, in my small town, which you are if you're the only family lawyer dedicated in that smaller area. Um, and couples would come to me saying, okay, this is, I, I want to do, separate? How do I do it? So there was a lot of not just the, okay, legal advice. So I really kind of started creating a whole lot of different options for people. And and every time I had a different client, I kind of went, oh, wow, this is not what I've kind of put on my website, (laughs) you know, which is I'll just do mediation and I'll just do collaborative law or I'll just do kind negotiations for you. I really found that I needed some other options for people. And to be honest, I still do that. Like when clients come to me, obviously my first aim is to keep them really peaceful and try and getting them. So, I mean, I still get people that might come that are in a negative phase or wanting to fight, but I guess I use my skills at coaching skills there to kind of say, okay, let's reframe this and see what's the, going to be the best scenario moving forward. And from that, I guess I've created a few more solutions for people. Cost-wise as well, I've tried to create solutions through writing my book and now doing my online course for people who really want to try and do those very early things but not necessarily getting a lawyer so the business sort of just really evolved as I said from me just saying I'm a family lawyer and I'm a mediator and then I built uh, whatever I could to kind of help in a peaceful way on top of that to 
guess give as many options and create them. And as I said, they're still evolving. Like there's lots of different things that just keep growing from that. Certainly the coaching side of things, and that's probably come more from my book. When I wrote my book, that was really just a dream. Like, okay, I've always, you know, loved writing and reading. I'd love to be able to write my own. And when I was working through my process, so in my mediations, I found that I took my own authentic approach. Rather than having a one-day mediation, I actually split my mediations into about three sessions with, with the couple, purely to get them really well prepared before we even start negotiating. And that's one of my major points in my keys with my clients, getting them really well prepared. So I then realized, well, there's other people that might move on to different things, but that preparation and giving them the advice and calming them down and giving them a bit of a pathway is an, a completely something else I can do to help people who can mm-hmm. then maybe even go and negotiate on their own um, or go mm-hmm. to a mediator that's not a fully paid private mediator. So there's, yeah, lots of options just came from that. What I think is amazing is how your business has evolved or how you have evolved the business in response to your clients' needs. Because you say, I started, I didn't want to go to court. I said, here I am, I'm a family lawyer. But then each of these products that you've built along the way, your coaching, your book, your online program, the way you structure your mediation, and we'll talk more about some of those things. Each of the things that you've built on the way, you have very carefully designed in response to the needs of the types of clients that you're attracting so you say it's evolved but it's you've been very it's been very conscious along the way you've really thought well here is a common question that I'm getting or here is a common challenge in terms of people not maybe being able to afford to pay for the full service but they still need some advice and so you've then broken down how can I address each of those challenges that my clients are facing I think that's one of the beauties of also working for yourself and by yourself. And that was, I guess, that as much as I I said I loved my partners, I couldn't do those sorts of things and make those big decisions or just completely change what I was doing when I was in a partnership. It was really, it was restraining, I suppose, in the sense that I just didn't have the ability to be my authentic self or do all those things and and trial them and let them fail too, you know. I mean, I have had some failures where I've gone, this would be really great for people and, and then nothing happened. So I really had to go, do you know what? I need to stop thinking about what I think they need, which we all do as a lawyer, and what they actually are asking me and telling me, I need this because I A, can't afford it or I'm really stressed about this, but I'm not stressed about that. So as I said, it still evolves. I really try and get people to do my online course, but I created the coaching extra package sort of side of that because people would say, but I also want to talk to you and I want that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've kind of, that evolved as well. So yeah. When clients come to you who you said have the the negative attitude or wanting to fight, that's what how you described them earlier, what do you do with those people? Do you refer them elsewhere or do you try and help them see yeah. the benefits of your service? Um, absolutely try and get them to see the benefits of just a kinder, calmer negotiation, not necessarily me. But so what I would normally do if someone comes into me and they are in that negative phase is I try and get them to even like using my own stages, which the first stage for, for my process is to keep people calm and get them looking at all their support networks. So I really try and encourage them before they make any big decisions about how they want to fight or what they're going to do to really look at all these other options first. And I do obviously then explain explain to them the options that I provide. If there's a real need, so obviously there are some situations, say a domestic violence situation, I can still help, but it does depend on the way that they want to do things. If there's a massive risk and there is a need for court, then absolutely. I've got a beautiful list of other lawyers 
who will completely support the person whilst still being kind and gentle with that client, but they absolutely can take their matter to court if they need to. So I've got my go-to list that I give them and say, these people are beautiful, they will help you, and they're also very good at litigation and can do that. To be honest, most people that come to me aren't in that frame of mind. I guess with my messaging and the reputation that I have, people don't come to me if they really want to tear the other person's throat out. <laughs> and if they do, I try and convince them of the, the better way to do it. And nine out of ten times, I honestly believe I can and I have convinced them and they've realised, actually, yeah, I'm just talking emotions here. I'm just angry and upset and we try and get them past that. So I make sure that if I do get someone like that, we don't start negotiating while they're in that emotional stage. I work them through, get support before we start preparing and negotiating anything for them because they're just not ready. No. Yeah, yeah, sounds really sensible. The thought process that you've just described is also one of the challenges for particularly smaller firms and for people who are starting out their own business. And that's the idea that not everyone is your client and it's okay to say no to someone, even if there's someone who wants to pay you, if their approach doesn't suit yours or your values aren't aligned or they need someone who is going to take them on a different pathway to the one that you would prefer to. And it's hard, right? How did you get yourself to the point where you felt comfortable with that, with saying actually thanks, but no thanks? To be honest, it was through learning experience. We all make Mm -hmm. mistakes. (laughs) And very early on, I did that. I thought, I had a case where I was like, oh, you know, this one, I'm sure eventually they will come around and they will do that. And I tried that. And as soon as we sort of started, even though they said, oh, I'll give that a go, it just didn't. And I think I just learned <laughs> that it is, it's up to me, not there, like to get, to actually yeah. assess that and go, what, if this is really your thinking, then I've got some great people to move you on to. So yeah, it sometimes is a hard conversation, but I think that the way that I deal with it most of it is to be really upfront with people and say, I will not go to court for you. So if that is something that you honestly believe you may end up doing, and that might not be your fault, that could potentially be also the partner. We talk about that quite in depth right at the start and people will say, look, let's continue and try all your methods and then I'm very happy for you to send me off and go to a litigation lawyer if we can't settle it. Or the other option is right at the start if things are really hard, I will say to them, no, look, let's refer you on to someone else. I agree with you. Like a lot of people, certainly when I started out, I was like, no, no, you have to take this client because I need money, I need to earn an income. But it just then took it took my time and effort away from the clients that really needed me. So I just learned yeah. really, yeah, we all yeah. learn by experience. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mm. Okay, now let's talk about some of these products that you've mentioned already a few times that are not things that we would tend to see in a traditional family law space. So you've written a book, What Are We Fighting For? You've got a course, you do um, coaching. Let's start with the book because m- my understanding is that's sort of the framework for a lot of these other products. So tell us about your book and why you wrote it. So I wrote the book again from clients talking to me, you know, and even friends or family friends, like as a family lawyer, you often get a phone call or you get someone, a friend saying, how do I help my friend or how do I do this? Yes. So what I wanted to do, and I often had lots of little bits and pieces of information that I would send to people to say, read this or or think about these things. Um, So I really just went, okay, do you know what? I need to put all this in one spot so I can hand the book to someone. So to be honest, I wrote it for my clients. I wrote it for the people that I think just 
have separated and have no idea where to go. And the framework from it came from the way I dealt was dealing with my mediation clients. So that I sort of realized, I think, as I was going along, well, actually, like, I can use this as a bit of a framework. And that's where, yeah, the book evolved in in that way. And to be honest, the writing of the book actually helped me clarify all my frameworks even better. Like I knew what I was doing. I knew why I was doing it. But when I then broke it down and went, there's actually six steps to this, it really just made it clearer for me. And it also helps when I'm doing things with clients because I can go, do you know what? We really need to stick in phase one because you can't jump right to negotiation when we haven't done all these things that we really have to do right up front. Yeah, for sure. You and I were in the same coaching group for our author writing program. So I, I can definitely relate to that in terms of how the process of writing a book really helps you to get clear on your ideas and the process that you probably just use naturally, but haven't necessarily really thought about because you've never taken the time to extract it and work out, well, what do I do first and second? And Yeah, try. absolutely. And it gives you the opportunity to explain the why in there as well. I think mine's pretty simple. And I'm sure any family lawyer that reads my book will go say that is really simple and that's probably what we all do and it is like the whole thing is the book is for somebody who's really stressed and emotional and separating Um, I think the difference probably with my book and with the way that I approach things is I really focus obviously on kindness I I believe kindness and following your you know behavior and your values is so important like the number one thing I deal with family law client but also preparing the person not just the papers and the documents but you know really getting people to think about everything before they start moving on to these negotiations. And I I did that because I would find people would come into your office and straight away start talking about percentages and outcomes. And you're like, hang on, I can't even consider that as a lawyer. We need to do so much more before I even think about giving you that advice. And you need to know what options you've got and all that. So it really... Yeah, it was very much just clarifying what I talk to clients about, the information I give them and being able to hand it to someone and say, read this first and hopefully that will help you. And if not, there's lots of other things we can do. Yeah. And that leads on to the, the next question, which is how do you use the book in your business? So, um, To be honest, I remember Andrew said this in our book writing course, that it's definitely not something that you expect to be a number one bestseller. And I've never been under any misconception that I would be a bestselling author. Um, I did just write it for my clients. And surprisingly, like obviously you do your promotion and you want people to buy your book, but I really just want my clients to read my book. And so I do often give it to my clients. So that's part of my package. I will give my clients my book to read. But then I do obviously also get the people that have gone and purchased my book and read that and then come to me maybe for some coaching or just for some information in for their options or it may be as a mediator, they come to me or a collaborative practitioner. So the way I use it, yeah, it's really more, I, and I'm going back to what Andrew said, it's, it's a beefed up business card, really, that you hand yeah, to someone. Sure. So it shows that, you know, what you're about. And, and I think that's what I've done with my book. It really authentically shows people that my business is not about making lots of money. It's about helping lots of families. Mm-hmm. And, and I think they see that when they read the book and they see it you've got your steps set out here. You're not trying to withhold information from them. You're practicing what you preach because it's all there written in your book and they can see that these aren't just things that you say, you actually back it up. 
Yeah. And I think one of the things about the way I do it, and also, I mean, I went through separation myself and I was actually a child of separation. So, you know, I can kind of express that to people and that's sometimes hard to say openly to someone, but if they read the book, they understand that I really do get it. I really do understand the difficulties that they're going through. I mean, you don't have to have gone through separation to understand. There's some beautiful, empathetic people out there that can definitely help, but it certainly makes people feel comfortable that they know actually when she says I get it she really does get what it's like on a personal level not just on a legal and practical level yeah so yeah it was really just written for for my clients I suppose to be able to hand that over and help people so yeah the other product that I want to talk to you about is coaching so you offer one-on-one coaching for your clients which again isn't something we traditionally see in traditional family law so tell me about what what, your coaching what is it and how does it differ how does it help your clients so obviously at first I found it really hard to differentiate between being a coach and the lawyer but I think I've really found that happy medium now so and every family lawyer out there would know this that first few appointments with the client or the first stuff that you talk about really isn't very legal (laughs) it's really Mm -hmm. very practical stuff so what I've done is I actually separate the parts of say of my six steps that are really just coaching so the first part is keeping them calm look for all the options that they have that's just coaching them through how to go about creating the separation. Sometimes people are just ready to separate but haven't done that yet. So I work them through that sort of first phase. I then also work them through right up to really before they negotiate. So the coaching side is just all that helping them figure out what they do need to look into, what options they need to explore and how to explore those options, whether it might be saying you really should go and see a financial planner and talk about all these things. So I have to be really careful not to be giving legal advice in that coaching phase. It's really just preparing people to get into the separation, you know, process, the the more, Mm -hmm. the legal side of things. So, yes, it's, again, it's something that really just evolved from clients. Like I felt that charging for on it, like for legal fees to do some of that stuff didn't sit completely right with me because I'm like, well, a lot of this really is, I mean, so it's coaching whether that's the right word for it or not. But for me, it works because people go, okay, well, at the moment, I'm not taking any legal action or doing anything here. I'm just sorting myself out and I've got someone who knows the process and where I should look for it to help me through that. And also to help them figure out what it is on earth that their goals are and what needs they have and all those things that they probably haven't wanted to sit down and think about. So yeah, so that's evolved probably in the last 12 months. I think that's been becoming a bigger part of my business. And it's a part that you really enjoy, isn't it? I know you're yeah. focusing more and more time there, which shows that there's a real need for that type of service as well. Yeah. Look, the reason I like it, because I I think one of the big downfalls that I did see is people coming into my mediations or even when you're just practicing normally, being completely unprepared. So I really think it's definitely a, it needs to, we need to say to couples, hang on, there's all this stuff you need to do before you start making legal decisions and creating legal options. So yeah, I really love it. It's actually really fun to work one-on-one with people to really help them create those aha moments that they're like, wow, okay, I never thought of it this way. And to really just unpack the way that they want to move forward. But also I find with the coaching, what it does is it keeps them in that calmer, controlled and supported state rather than when we get clients that are really emotional and are just expressing themselves usually in anger because they're hurt and confused. And that's where like, 
but having the coaching, you're able to kind of pull them back in and reality test and help them through that without it then going off the path. So the coaching clients tend to stay really well focused and then move on to some really great family law solutions. So that's one of the reasons why I kind of created that thinking that I think that's a bit of a hole that's missing for people perhaps. Now, the question I always finish on is what advice would you give to someone who wants to do law differently? Um, Look, my answer is probably really boring, but it it really is just to be yourself and do exactly what you want to do and not listen to what other people are saying. So that's actually probably quite a bit of advice because I think that if I had listened to everyone who told me I was crazy when I um, was going to leave my partnership and sorry to my my ex-partners because they told me that in a loving way but they said you're crazy this is really silly just take some time off and then come back but I just said no I need to do what's right for me so really Mm -hmm. listen to your own heart and what you want to do and really there's no need to listen to anyone else if you're happy and you think and you're making a difference and you're doing things the way you want to do it then why do you have to do it the way that people traditionally do it or the way people tell you you should do it it's all up to you I like that advice I don't think it's boring I think it's really helpful and and practical and I'm going to break my own rule and ask you a follow-up question because I think it's good it's good advice right be yourself work out what you want to do what works for yourself and your clients how do you stop those voices though how do you do that what kind of tools or strategies have you used to help you shut out those voices who are saying no this isn't going to work or you shouldn't do that or you should come back to the partnership or whatever they might be I think I'd probably use some of my own advice that I would give a client, which is let's think about this. If you make this decision in five years' time, what's the outcome going to look like? So if someone says to me, you should do this or this is not the way to do it, I think, well, if I do choose that pathway that they're suggesting, like what's that going to look like for me? Even in a week's time, do I want that to actually happen? So I guess I would really be coaching myself, really going back and going, you know, what do I want things to look like? How's that going to look? And yeah, it's one of those things that I think you just really have to stick to why you've chosen to do that and not let anybody waver that. And that's probably what I come back to. I keep going in my heart, what do I actually think is right? Now, I guess you do have to build a bit of a wall to say, I really am not influenced. No, it's not that I don't care what other people think. I absolutely will take on board their information, but I will have to make my own choices and be responsible for what the consequences are down the track. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Thank you, Kirsty. I appreciate you taking us on the journey that has been from when you left your previous firm to building your own business and sticking to doing what you want to do, what works for you and your clients. I think it's really inspirational. So thank you for sharing it with us. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been so lovely to talk to you. I appreciate you having me. That's all for today's episode of the Doing Law Differently podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to do law differently and you're looking for some guidance and inspiration to help you along the way, then get your hands on my book, It's Time to Do Law Differently, How to Reshape Your Firm and Regain Your Life. You can get it on my website, lucydickens.com.au forward slash book or on Amazon or Booktopia where you'll also find the ebook versions too. Don't forget to leave a rating and review if you enjoy the podcast and be sure to tell your friends and let other people know too. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.